As we begin this morning, just want to kind of review over the past several weeks of where we've been, and you can see that kind of in your outline there, in your in your bulletin, uh, some of the things that that we've been dealing with. But this question of, you know, who are we in Christ? And again, that phrase in Christ is throughout Scripture and is all throughout, even uh, especially Paul's favorite uh, phrase that when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus to become in Christ. That's an average believer. And, and so what happens? Uh, the first thing we looked at was that we are these new creations, that a transformation takes place. We're no longer, and it shouldn't be, when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the phraseology we use, but when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a change, a transformation, that you are no longer the same person anymore. Your desires change. Your thinking changes. Your goals in life should change. Your desires of, of life, of what you desire, what you want to do with your life changes. Everything changes, and that's why Paul describes it as this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You are a new creation. Your old sinful lifestyle is gone, is buried, is, is no longer. But you are this new creation in Christ. And then Paul goes on in that same and talk about this reconciliation to God. And you can see that the meaning be we exchange hostility with to a friendly relationship. That's what it means to be reconciled. We are no longer enemies of God. And we'll see that here, that phraseology here in the same in Romans chapter 5 here. We are friends of God now. Again, we use the same understanding that the that when two people are, are kind of mad at each other, when two people are kind of, uh, you know, maybe disliking, that all of a sudden that this relationship was strained, and then now they become reconciled, they become friends, now they have a, this good relationship. And again, what happens when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus and become a follower of Jesus is they become no longer an enemy of God, but become a friend of God, which is why we can sing that, uh, that song, I am a friend of God, because of what Jesus has done. We have this relationship. Relationship. This broken relationship has been restored. We now have access. We now have this, this friendly relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we can call Him Abba. We can call Him Father because of what Jesus has done for us. We also saw that we become righteous. And we saw that in these two passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but also in the Romans chapter 3 passage that we looked at last week. And again, that righteous means that we are doing what God requires, this perfect obedience. We met God's standard. That's what Romans uh, 3.23, that no one, because of our sin, no one, all have sinned and all fallen short of what? God's glorious standard. But we become righteous, not because of our own deeds, but because of what Jesus has done, because He obeyed perfectly. Again, He obeyed perfectly to His heavenly Father, he was with, he did not sin once. He was perfect. And so he went to that cross, he died upon that cross, and he died righteous. And what happens well, through faith, and nothing that we can do, but through faith, Jesus' righteousness, his perfect standard, is applied to us so that we become righteous, as Paul says. Not of anything that we have done so that we could boast. You think about that. If salvation 
if our salvation was based upon our good deeds, and again, we have this kind of mentality that we're going to get before these pearly gates and, and we're going to see, okay, uh, the question comes, well, why should I let you into heaven? If, if our salvation was based upon what we did, then we have bragging rights. You can say, well, listen to how good I've been. I gave this much money to this church or I gave this much money to this organization. I, I never lied uh, once. Uh, I, I always paid my taxes on time. I was a good citizen. I always obeyed the law, even the speed limit. When it said 35, I went 33 just to make sure it didn't go over. No one drives like that, but you know, that's, that's the speed limit. I'm a good person. If our salvation was based upon the good things that we did, then we could boast and say, look at me. But our salvation isn't based upon that because as we saw last week, our good deeds are like what? Filthy rags. Oily rags that are thrown away compared to God's perfection. Only perfect people can get to heaven. And the only way we get perfect to meet that standard of perfection is through Jesus. And what He did for us. The other one that we saw, we looked at last week was this understanding of justified. And we will pick that kind of, Romans chapter 5 kind of continues that thought of what that understanding of justification means. But it's that understanding, the meaning that we saw last week is that being set free. That same word of redemption or redeem is that understanding that we have been set free from the slavery of sin. We've been set free. When we are born because of our first parents, and every single person uh, can go back, and right now it's kind of a big thing to trace back your family heritage and see what ethnicity you are and so forth. But every single person can be traced back to these two people, and they were real people. They were, they were called Adam and Eve, and even scientists will say that. That every single person living on this earth, all females can be traced back to one ancestor. All males can be traced back to one ancestor. And, I, and I, when I read these studies, I'm like, yeah, tell people that the Bible is true because that's what the Bible teaches, but they don't go that extra step. But they go back, everybody goes back to Adam and Eve. And because our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, well, guess what? We are born into, are disobedient to God. We are bent towards sin. We are a slave of sin. That's all we know. Which is why you don't have to teach your kids how to misbehave. That's all they know. And when a person comes to know Jesus, they are justified. Those chains of slavery fall off and they, we are set free from sin, from death from the consequences of our sin. Before we begin looking at and picking up the understanding of this understanding of justification through this passage here in Romans chapter 5 where Paul explains a little bit further, okay, what are some consequences? What are some results that happen because of our justification? We have to remind ourselves where we're at in, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, Paul explains that every single person in this world, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if they live in Timbuktu, it doesn't matter if they live in China, it doesn't matter if they live in the Philippines, it doesn't matter if they live in the United States, States. It does not matter who you are. Every single person has the same problem. 
And that's what Romans chapter 1 deals with with a pagan person. Romans chapter 2 deals with the moral person who thinks they're a good person because they, they try to, to, to live right. And then you get to Romans chapter, end of chapter 3 that deals with the Jewish people that had God's law. And we saw last week when we looked at that, that the purpose of the law wasn't to save them. The purpose of the law was to help the Jewish people realize that they are sinners in need of a Savior. No matter how many animals they sacrificed, wasn't enough. And then you get the book of Hebrews and explains that. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of humanity. Which is why Jesus' sacrifice is better. But then he gets into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and he says, okay, here is every single person who has the same problem. Well, here's the solution to that problem. And that's where we saw last week when we looked at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to the end of the chapter, is that transition where Paul is saying, okay, everybody has the same problem. Now here's the solution. It's only through Jesus. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 explains that great gift of salvation that is by faith, not by works. That is, this is our hope that we have here's the results that happen and and so forth and then you follow along in the whole entire book uh, chapters one two and three deal with uh how everybody's a sinner four five and six deals with how there's this great gift of salvation that everybody needs and then he flushes it out well what happens in uh, uh seven eight nine ten uh in eleven dealing with this sanctification process how we become more like jesus And then chapter 12, the first verse of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, how do we respond to this? To live holy lives that are pleasing to God. That's where the good works come in. This understanding of being justified. You see, God provided a way. God provided a way for us to meet His standard, and that is only by, through faith. Again, I've posted more passages of scriptures up there on the screen here as we go through this so you can kind of see the Paul's argument. But one of the things, the results that we have is that we have peace with God, which makes sense. Because as a, if we, that's understanding of being reconciled, if, if we were before Jesus, before we came to know Jesus, we were, had this broken relationship as Paul will say in this, in this passage, we are enemies of God. Well, we become reconciled to God. Well, one of the benefits of this understanding of being reconciled, being justified, being set free, is that we now have peace with God. It's a military term of when two countries are at war with each other and they call a truce. There's peace. And the fighting has stopped. That's what this understanding is. We have peace with God. Well, where do we get that from? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what happens? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's only through Jesus. It's not through good works. It's not through anything that we've done. It is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have that. And again, the question is why? Why do we need this peace with God? Well, Paul, towards the end of the the passage that that we saw there, uh, explains this. And so let's jump down to verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us. That word demonstrates is this, that God proved 
That's one of the questions that so many times people ask me as a pastor. How do I know that God really loves me? How do I know? Because sometimes I feel like that God is up there uh, with a with a two by four, and every time I, I screw up, God's about ready to smack me over the head with a two by four. You think of like NCIS. Uh, I haven't watched NCIS for years, but the Gibbs would always smack uh, the people on the back of the head uh, when they screwed up. Sometimes that's our concept of God. I sin, God's about ready to whack me. How do we know that God is a loving God? That God is a merciful God? How do we know? Well, Paul says that God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Do you realize that? As Jesus is there upon the cross, and as He is there for those hours of darkness, and as He is there standing there and suffering, what God is yelling to the world is this, I love you! I love you! Look at how much I love you guys! You're worthless sinners! And I sent my perfect Son to die on the cross for you. So if we ever doubt, does God really love us? All we have to do is look to the cross and say, yeah, God loves us more than anything we can imagine because while we were still sinners, while we were rejecting God, going in the totally wrong direction, Christ died for us. But He continues, since we have now been justified by His blood, and then Paul uses that phrase, since we have been set free from the slavery of sin by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? We do not like to talk about God's wrath. In fact, sometimes when you look at, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, sometimes people think, man, God is, is kind of schizophrenic in some ways. Because in the Old Testament, God is a God of wrath and a God of, of vengeance. And, and, and He has to deal with sin. And then we get to the New Testament and we like the God of the New Testament because He's a God of love. Not the definition that our society says of love. I had a college professor one time said if you that that he called God as the modern evangelical church said that he's he's the uh, he called him uh, the big goo up in the sky, but God's love, that perfect love, that provided us a way of a that provided us a way to be right with Him. But we don't like to talk about God's wrath, and wrath is simply God's anger. Look at the Old Testament. Why does God wipe out the entire world with Noah's flood? Why does God send the nation of Israel into the promised land and tell them, wipe out all the Canaanites, wipe out all the Jebusites, wipe out all the Hittites, wipe out all the other ites that are living there? Why does God tell them that? Why does God... Send his own children into exile for 70 years. And uses the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come and conquer them. Why does God kill Aaron's two sons? That, that we're not exactly sure what they do, but they bring some type of strange fire into the, ta the tabernacle. 
and they get wiped out. Why does God do all these things? Because He's a holy God. And He can have nothing to do with sin. He has to judge sin. And He gets angry at sin. Why did God send Jesus upon that cross? Why did Jesus have to go upon the cross and suffer the way He suffered? Paul says this, because of God's wrath. And we are saved by God's wrath. From God's wrath. One of the songs that we, that we sing here is in Christ alone. It is not a politically correct song, but that's okay. We're not striving to be politically correct here. We are striving to be biblically correct here. But one of the things as the, the song in Christ alone, as it became more and more popular, other denominations who strive to be politically correct went to uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend and said, listen, we really like your, your song, but it's just not politically correct right now. So can you change a few words so that we can include it into our hymnal? I'm not going to tell you the denominations. You probably can take a guess at uh, some of them. But there are two words, one of them particularly, the other one secondary. The first one was the word alone. And so Keith and, and Stuart, actually, they had a conversation about this. And they said, you know, if we take out that word, what would it do to the message of the song? And they wrote back and they said, listen, I understand you struggle with that word alone, but guess what? The Bible says that our hope is in what? In Christ alone. Verse 1, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, what fears are stilled when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Second verse. There was an issue with the word of wrath. Let me read it to you. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, Fullness of God and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save. Again, that's what we read in the Gospels. Till on that cross as Jesus died. And here's the phrase. The wrath of God was satisfied. We don't like to think about that. But it's biblical as Paul is saying here. God has to judge sin. And when Jesus went to that cross, the wrath of God, the anger of God towards sin was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here, in the death of Christ, I live. Paul says we get to escape God's wrath because Jesus already satisfied it on the cross. And then verse 10, For it is why we were God's enemies, while we were enemies of God, we were warring against God. We wanted nothing to do with God. We shook our fist at God. Maybe not literally, but inwardly. That's what happened before we, were, before we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We were enemies of God. And now we are what? We are reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life?
The reason why we need this peace with God, the reason why this peace with God is a result of a justification, because before Christ, a person is an enemy of God. Before Christ, we want nothing to do with God. Before Christ, we are heading in the wrong direction. And it is only through as the Holy Spirit starts working on our hearts and starts, and starts allowing us to understand the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that we recognize we are enemies of God. We have a problem with God. This relationship has been broken. And we need to be reconciled. We need to be brought back and be set free. We need to have this peace with God where we are no longer warring with God as an enemy. And that's what happens when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But Paul just doesn't stop there. And one of the results that, that we have is our justification. Yes, we have this peace with God. But the other thing is this, is that we get the boast. We get the boast in three things. And the first one we, we see there in, in, in the first part of the second part of uh, verse 2, we boast in what? We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Our hope isn't th- made about the things of this world. Our hope isn't even based upon who's going to win the, the Super Bowl or who's going to win the World Series. Our hope isn't even in our, our jobs or, or, or our spouses. Our hope is in what now as believers in Jesus Christ? Our hope is in the glory of God. That one day... As we were singing about that that He is song, that one day we will stand before the throne of God and we will see God in all of His glory. That one day the curse of this world will be gone and, and we will have these new heavenly bodies that will last forever. And I praise the Lord every day as I get up and my knees aren't working like they used to. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, would you come back quickly and tell my knees to start the guy with some oil like the tin me in there type deal. Every day we're reminded of that. Our hope isn't even in who's going to be the president or who's going to be some elected official. Our hope is in the glory of God. That's why the New Testament talks about that we are in this world, but not of this world. We, our true citizenship isn't in this world. Our true citizenship is a heavenly one because of what happens when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And then Paul goes on and says this, and our hope does not put us to shame. That's the NIV way of saying our hope is not in vain. It's not worthless. It's not a waste of time. But according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus never rose from the dead, guess what? What we're doing here is a waste of time. If it's a crutch, like people claim that Christianity is, oh, it's just a crutch and make you feel good to help you get through things, really? Because when you read the Gospels of Jesus and you read the Gospel, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have more problems in your life. So count the cost. But Paul says, if, if we are only putting our faith and trust in Jesus for this life, well, guess what? It is we're, we're wasting our time. It's useless. There's no hope. Forget about it. If Jesus is still dead in the ground, walk away. But the, we know 
that Jesus died upon that cross. So three days later, He rose again. How do we know that? Because Jesus was seen by over 500 people, eyewitnesses, that this really did happen. The lives of the disciples were changed. The early church was totally transformed. We have the truth of God's Word preserved to us so that we can know this is what happened. It's historically accurate. So our hope is in this glory of God that we will be dwelling with God and that's what we base our life upon. That's why we can look at all everything happening around and we have hope. That's why when we go through trials, when we go through pain, when we go through suffering, we still have hope. Because the promises of God are true. Our hope is not in vain. Because we have experienced God's love fully in our hearts. So he says, our hope does not put us to shame, it's not in vain, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You realize this, and eventually we'll get to this in this assurance of salvation series. We'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the gift that God has given to us as believers, the the Holy Spirit, that God's presence is with us every moment of every single day. We don't have to go to the temple and and be there with God's Spirit. We are the temple. And when God pours His Spirit at that moment of, of coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and tells us you are a child. You are a son or a daughter of God. God loves you. We've experienced God's love fully in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. We can boast because of this hope that we have that we will see God. The second one is this. Verse 3, Not only so, but we also glory. I have no idea why the NIV translates it as glory because it's the same Greek word as boast. Not only so, but we also boast in what? Our sufferings. Really, Paul? We boast in our sufferings? The interesting thing is this. And again, our English translations love translating as sufferings, but do you realize it's the same word, Greek word, for tribulation? And in a few months, we will, hopefully at the beginning of the year, we will start the series through the book of Revelation, and you will see the great tribulation. You will see tribulations. And this is the same word, suffering, tribulations. But we can boast in our sufferings. Why? Because our sufferings lead to what? To hope. Look at what Paul says here in verse 3. Not only so, in a sense, not only so that we boast in, in, our, in the glory of God, but we also boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. What is perseverance? The ability to hang on. You know, sometimes life is like a roller coaster, not a box of chocolate. Life is like a roller coaster. I hate roller coasters. When I was a youth pastor, I took the youth uh, to uh, Six Flags. I rode Batman. I rode these other roller coasters that I will never ride ever again in my life. 
I remember Batman. We the, when I when I when we took uh, the youth there to the Six Flags, we they, we got right in and and then we booked it. Uh, I mean, I, I only ran that fast when I was in cross country to see the finish line. They were like, "We gotta get the Batman because because we gotta beat the lines because usually it's like an hour and a half wait." So we got there. We were the first ones in line. They they put us in line and and off we went. And this literally was my prayer: Lord Jesus, help me not to die. You know I hate roller coasters. The only reason why I'm on this stupid thing is because of, of trying to tell these kids about Jesus. Help me not to die. As they launched us, I have no idea what the ride was like because my eyes were closed the whole time. And I realized after that one ride, if, if you close your eyes on a roller coaster and you flip upside down, you have no idea where you're at, and then all of a sudden you feel the big jolt at the end to stop, you can open it and, and, and you know, okay, I've survived, uh, that wasn't too bad. We got off. The kids looked over at the other side and guess what? There was no line, so they said, let's do it again. <laughs> but life is like a roller coaster. Sometimes you literally are just hanging on. That's perseverance. The capacity to hold on or to bear up in the face of difficulty. To endure. Our sufferings produce perseverance. Endurance. Our perseverance or endurance produces character. And what does that character mean? Is that that word character is the ability to stand a test or a trial. And that character produces what? Hope. Paul says, don't you, we can boast in our sufferings, in our trials, in our tribulations, the, the hard times of life. We can boast. Why? Because it produces hope in us. Because we look at our situation and we look at God's promises and we hang on to God's promises with all our heart, with all our mind and thinking, yes, this, this world is horrible. This world is sinful. This world is fallen. And we're suffering. But boy, does it look good when we get into the presence of God. And I will hang on when life is like that roller coaster. And I will hang on with a firm grip to those promises of God when one day He will make everything new. And there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more diseases, no more cancer, no more whatever. And I look at my Savior face to face. And it will be worth it. Our sufferings, we can boast in them because they remind us again of that hope that we're hanging on to that we're clinging to. And then finally, we boast in God. As it says there, verse 11, not only is this so, and again, that the phrase not only is this, is Paul is building upon his argument of not only do we have boast in our hope, not only do we boast in our hope, but we boast in our trials or our sufferings, not only do we do that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received that reconciliation. You see, this whole thing, the reason why we boast in God is because this was God's idea. This was God's plan. And we see that all throughout Scripture, Adam and Eve didn't, 
when they when they were standing there before God on that when God comes and judges them and curses the earth and gives them some judgment and curses uh, the serpent when when God comes and judge Adam and Eve aren't there saying oh oh God forgive us we screwed up can you provide us another chance they hid from God. And even as they are there, it is not so much of, of, of God tells Adam and Eve during that time of judgment, but guess what? Now the earth is going to be cursed. Guess what? Now Satan, you're going to be cursed, but guess what? There's going to be hope. One day, one day, there's going to be the seed of the woman that's going to come and is going to crush your head. And the rest of Scripture tells us this is what to look for. That seed of the woman who will cross the serpent's head. This was all part of God's plan. This was God's plan from all along. You see, in God, the reason why I can boast in God, because for giving us a way to be reconciled with Himself, because God provided a way that we could not do. You see, this gift of salvation cannot be earned. And sometimes I, I, I may feel like I'm on this broken record, but, but we have to get that through our brains. This gift of salvation cannot be earned. This gift of salvation was God's plan. God took the initiative. God was the one that took this plan and said, here it is. Here's this gift of salvation. And the only way to receive this gift of salvation is through Jesus because that's the only way that God has planned it. There's nothing that we can do because this is a gift of salvation has been initiated only by God. Again, sometimes we get to the, in our hearts and our minds and thinking, well, surely God has to let me in because I'm a good person. All it takes is one sin and you become an enemy of God. All it takes is one sin and you no longer meet God's standard because God's standard is perfection. And God said, listen, I'm going to provide that way for you to be able to meet my standard. I'm going to provide you a way for you to meet. And it's not through you. It's not through anything that you do. It's only through what Jesus has done. And how do you receive this? By faith. By simply saying, I'm trusting in You, Lord Jesus. I'm trusting in You. And the moment you do that, well, this is what you become. You become a new creation in Christ. You become a friend of God where that broken relationship is restored and you become reconciled to God. You become righteous, finally able to meet God's standard. You become justified, set free from the slavery of sins. That sin no longer defines who you are. You have peace with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. That is what you've become when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ.